Hello, dear star shines. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Christina here. Uh, welcome to today's lunchtime chats. For those of you who are new, my name is Christina and I'm an acceleration expert. And we are here to talk about those topics and issues that are significant for us star seeds, way showers, new paradigm visionaries. We have abilities, capacities, perhaps, that are not embraced by our larger human family. Therefore, we have very unique perspectives to the challenges that we face during this uh, interesting time of transition. Uh, so I am here to do the best of my ability to convey a liberated perspective to these pieces so we can step forward in our sovereignty and with inner freedom and as multidimensional beings learning how to live the life true to ourselves. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'll give everybody a minute to get on board. I'm a couple minutes late here. I am uh, in beautiful, beautiful Montana right now. It's absolutely gorgeous. It would be even more sunny and bright blue behind me, but we've had a, um, a really interesting lightning storm come through the area a couple nights ago. And, uh, and so lightning has been lighting up the, the forests around here. And there's, so it's kind of foggy or not foggy, smoky um, due to all the fires. It was really neat, very rare uh, moment. And I've, sh I've shared this a couple times with some with friends, but um, I'll share it with you guys. I were up camping up at the ridge and um, actually I watched the bolt of lightning come down and strike a tree across the lake and the tree caught fire. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, I felt like that was a very uh, synchronistic, but, um, you know, a very interesting thing to witness in the moment that I was witnessing it. Uh, and what I'm getting, what I want to say with that is that, you know, synchronicity is all around us. The universe is always speaking to us in different ways. It just a it's just a matter if we have the eyes to see the patience to hear and listen and, you know, the heart to really be present with, with what's truly being shared with us in that moment. Kind of, um, if you guys caught the chat that we had last week, I was super blissed out from our Sasquatch camp out <laughs> and communicating and connecting with the elemental realm. Um, you know, there's, there's a really big piece. So if you want to truly have clarity and see the truth, you need to be willing to have an open heart, to have a yes for love, have a yes for loving, right? Um, that's how we actually get our clarity, the clarity that we're asking for. So, okay, everybody's coming on board. Go ahead, let me know you're here. Say hi and tell me where you're from. Hey, Beverly, good to see you, darling. Beverly's from Toronto. We have... Um, a nice, strong Canadian contingent here in this community. Um, okay, so I'm in I'm in Montana. Why am I here? I originally came here, and I think we're still it's still unfolding. Uh, we came here for a couple of reasons, but one of them was to um, visit the megaliths of Montana. Hello, Emmeline. Good to see you. Thank you for saying hi. This is our dear sister from from England. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize that there are megaliths in Montana. And let me talk for a second about what megaliths are. They are massive, giant stone formations that are 
placed or exist on certain energy lines slash vortexes and um, in, in where these where these stone people are resting are usually some there's usually some level of hyperdimensionality activity in the uh, vortex of these stone people. Hello, aloha, Joanne. So good to see you. It's been a while. I'm glad you're here, darling. So um, there are megaliths that are really well known, and there's megaliths that are not so well known. The ones in England, for example, are really well known. We have Stonehenge, we have Avebury, and all through um, Europe, there are uh, there's a network um, of stone people referred to as dolmens, and these are less assuming uh, stone formations, but they are um, have been researched and and um, looked into by highly developed human beings. And there are there's a sect of master builders that have figured out how to decode these dolmens, these formations, these megaliths, and some of them were vortexes used for specific kinds of healings, specific kinds of reorganization of energy to help with fertility, to help with birthing, to help with um, healing ailments, stuff like this. So some of these dolmen slash megalith structures have like a, an on button, so to speak, where you do something to open the energy vortex. And then once the energy vortex is opened, then you can go into certain regions of the energy vortex, depending on the kind of healing, the kind of transmission, the kind of intent you have for being there. So that in a gist is very short gist, right? That's a major summation <laughs> of the history of megaliths on this planet. They're different than temples because temples are built, right? Built as in, not that the megaliths aren't built, but it's a completely different layer level of building, much more ancient, much more, um, I want to say, um, un, untethered. For example, we have the Egyptian pyramids. That's a powerhouse. Those are clearly built. We have the pyramid network that goes all through Central South South America. Clearly, those were all built. And this is so throughout Asia and other places. Um, and then you have formations like, in, like I mentioned in Stonehenge. Those were clearly all arranged. Okay, they weren't necessarily built. They were they were maybe quarried and arranged and they're maybe they're arranged more in the in the in the gill of um of maybe how we see a crop circle coming to be okay so i've been introduced to many new thoughts around these megalithic stone people and uh i find some of them interesting so i want to share some of those with you guys to see what you think about this because um, as we know, our history is highly manipulated and truncated. And the truncation usually happens to make convenient what other, whatever narrative a particular species is propagating. So, um, for example, if you talk to somebody in, um, that is into the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, narratives, you know, their, their history is going to start with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And that arguably could be 5,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 20 years, thousand years ago, like this. Uh, the, um, the, the 
Judaic Christian timeline is most often agreed to be about 5,500 years old. And this is the Hebrew calendar that that goes from. But we have much older timelines, right? If you keep going back several hundred thousands years, hundreds of thousands of years, you'll get to the place, even millions of years, you'll get to the place where the narrative starts to tell us what that reptilian beings were the first beings to be on this planet. And then if you go back even more millions of years, the first um, sentient beings were not, were not the reptilians. And I'm, I'm not talking about Draco reptilians. We're just talking about the reptilian template of consciousness. But if you go back even more millions, billions of years ago, there is a history that tells us that the first sentient beings were ant people and fish people. You see? So, so depending on what narrative is getting um, propagated, being talked about, they're going to reference a timeline that's convenient to that narrative. Um, and this is something that has really loosened me up and freed me in a lot of ways from hearing different narratives and timelines and thinking, oh, that's wrong, <laughs> you know, or, oh, this is that, right? I, I realize now, and it took, it took me a while to get here, and you guys let me know, it took me a while to get here where um, I can listen to these different narratives, and I'm just putting it on a spectrum. And, according, and when I put them on a spectrum, then, you know, most of the time, it is in resonance with truth. And it's just, you know, there's just, it's not covering the, the larger, larger spectrum. And one being better than the other is not true. It really all depends on the target that you're hitting. What is it that you're trying to, what is your, it that you're intending to activate inside of humans, inside of their light body, inside of their emotional field, inside their DNA, okay? So circling back around to megaliths, right? So we have these dolmen structures that are very well known through Europe that have a um, on-off mechanism to open and close vortexes to for the for a particular intent and purpose. And different dolmens um, and megaliths are located in different parts of the energy lines. And we're talking about the dragon lines, the the different. Um, now, when I'm talking in a master builder language, they don't say ley lines because ley lines is an overgeneralization to the actual energy lines that they track into. They track into solar lines, energy lines that go along with the sun. They track into lunar lines, lunar lines that energetically, electromagnetically track with the cycles of the moon. Then, the, then you have fire lines, water lines, which are um, like water veins under the ground. And, and stuff like this. So, so um, they talk about energy lines of an area in a very different way. Ley lines doesn't necessarily have as has a place as it does in the normal way that um, the popular the popular um, idea that we talk about when we talk about energy lines. So, so what the master builders are discovering is that these megaliths and dolmens are placed perfectly um, on these different energy lines. Um, some of the most powerful ones are on fire lines or dragon lines. And, uh, but, there, but a powerhouse isn't always what you need. It's, you know, it really depends on this intent. So other dolmens were built on water lines that had to do with purifying or you know, had to do with connecting with the, intelligent of, the intelligence of the elemental presence of water. So it 
quite literally creates a vortex and a, a region where zones of reality can come meet, kind of like what we talk about with the fairy accord, where zones of reality can meet and create a profound healing for somebody. And, and it could be a healing, but it also could be, you know, for, like I said before, um, ripening seeds so they're more likely to grow or, you know, some other level of fertility to, to, um, to open up and anchor in. And even, and this is a suspicion that um, I've had for a little while, and even perhaps conceive in, like perhaps these dolmens were used to create these overlapping fields to conceive a divine child or to unite a, um, a divine couple. Okay. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, these, these dolmens and megaliths are absolutely fascinating. And the ones that have been discovered in Montana are, are no, no disappointment. They have been studied by, um, Dr. Osmakovich, as you guys um, might know, recognize that name. He's the, the, the one that discovered the Bosnian pyramids and who has spearheaded all the scientific investigation around the Bosnian pyramids and the, and the pyramids. So there's the, um, the Temple of the Sun, but there, that whole valley, those are, those, all those mountains are all pyramids they discovered. There's even a dragon pyramid that's not in the typical shape. It's in a ridged shape. It's, so it's like a long oblate, ob, oblong kind of pyramid shape and and he spearheaded the study and actually um uh, is a groundbreaker in a lot of the kinds of instrumentation that's used to evaluate um these structures so he's been invited in to check out the montana megaliths and has um uh, uh um and had spearheaded a, a, a thorough invest. Well, not maybe not thorough. What does that mean, right? <laughs> Depends how long you're there. Um, but has um, came came in to use some of those diagnostics that he's been um, using in the Bosnian pyramid studies, and brought them here to study the megaliths. And they are finding that they're really powerful vortexes with these with these um, formations. The woman that has spearheaded the work is, um, her name is uh, Julie Ryder. Um, I think it's a husband-wife team that is um, propagating the, the study and um, exposing these different megaliths to the larger collective minds. So for those of you that want to do your research around that, they do three-day workshops I just heard about where they take people into the woods into the into the wilderness to visit these um these formations and, and they're no they're not they're no short track though they are not um they are not the kind where you can just drive up park in a parking lot and visit um from what i'm learning is that many of them are like 30 mile hikes into the mountains uh one way <laughs> so you're um it's definitely a um a multi-day uh, effort to go in and experience many of these megalithic um, formations. But she, she's done a lot of study and has shared pictures and stuff like this. Um, I'm not necessarily in a position to be able to go and hike in, you know, do a three-day hike in and three-day hike out, you know, or even do a real, like a 20-mile hike a day. You know, that's, that's not the, the level of effort that I'm prepared to do. But I do... I'm, I am um, 
becoming aware that there are many, many megalithic and dolmen structures here in Montana in the mountains that perhaps are even outside the scope of the part that she's focusing on. So I'm suspecting that, you know, those are more the, the things that for, for, uh, for me to discover while I'm here. All right. Hello, darlings. Hello. Hello, Carol. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, Crystal. Good to see you, darling. Young trick named Jim. Hello from Colorado. Um, came in late. I don't know if anyone already mentioned, but mentioned this, but the title for this episode appears to be erroneous. Really? Let's see what it says. What is this? Lunchtime chats episode 21. That's the title I have. I don't know. I don't know, Bev, what do you think? Uh, thanks, thanks, Young Trick. I'll put Bev on that. She can, she can um, maybe look into what you're talking about. Um, all right, so back to. So there's these megalithic structures. They're used for all these different purposes. And, uh, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the ones that are, there's the structures that are built that create hyperdimensional uh, zones of reality, like the temples that we're aware of. And then there's ones that are, look more of a natural formation. Now this starts to beg an interesting question because we've already in, in humanity and through history via studies like, um, Graham Hancock and, and others, um, I think, uh, Anthony West, uh, that they've, they pretty much blew the lid off the fact that it's, it's, you know, this is ET technology that we're looking at these, these temples, pyramids, um, like the pyramids of Giza and uh, ones through Central South America and Asia. And the lore corroborates that. The indigenous lore around these temples also corroborates that theory, that those thoughts. And I, I've also had some intuitive guidance around um, the temple builders and, um, and I'm getting especially when the ones in um, certain ones in Central America, they were built by Hyperboreans. Others say the, um, they were built by Anunnaki. Others say they were built from yet another ET race. Um, according to the Inca, Amarumuru, the serpent, the great serpent king, is the one that built their temples. So, you know, they all have stories that indicate, you know, where these structures came from and where the technology came from. So, so... We can say that, yeah, you know what, they were built by potentially extraterrestrial beings that were seeding life on this planet for some reason. And for some reason, seeding life on this planet means also having a temple structure to hold certain zones of reality in place, a morphic, to hold morphic fields in place. Perhaps this is the way that beings come to enter the dream of the Great Mother. Could be. But I'm feeling like the whole megalithic dolmen thing, that's, those are perhaps more in alignment with advanced consciousness that are indigenous to this planet. Advanced consciousness that has been a part of the evolution of this planet from perhaps even the beginning, whatever the beginning means. I suppose what I mean by beginning, I would say, Uh, ant people, probably going back to the ant people, ant people and fish people. And the time, according to Sasquatch record, let me first add this in before I go on this other type. Um, so according to Sasquatch records, 
at the time when life was being seeded on this planet in the version of fish people and ant people, the earth did not spin on its axis. It revolved around the sun similarly to the moon. And or so it, it did have a spin, but it wasn't creating days and nights like what we have. It was the same side of the sun was, I'm sorry, the same side of the earth was facing the sun as it rotated around as they were going through space. And that was an indication of the kind of consciousness that the dream was accommodating. The dream of the great mother was accommodating. So I would trace it back to that only because this, this is kind of like a, a pivotal moment in the growth, in the activation of the consciousness of, of Pachamama as cosmic mother. I think that's why I would go back to that. And, you know, that's how I feel today. Who knows? Tomorrow I might have a whole nother theory, a whole nother feeling about it. So you guys take that for what it's worth. So, so the ant people have advanced building technology and they experienced AI cyborg relations before any other consciousness really on this planet, on, in this realm, in this dream space. And they've learned, they've gone through a lot of those lessons that we are going through. They already went through the, um, the split between the, uh, the power over dynamics, such as with the uh, Orion War agenda, um, the power over agenda. And they were also the first to realize the way forward beyond those dramas. Okay. And but back when they were enslaved, they were enslaved because they were master builders. They were enslaved because they um, had advanced technology and were, was able to harness the power of nature, of natural force to, um, to generate power, to generate um, you know, tap-inable power sources. And power sources aren't just to run like technology, like what we got here. Power sources also hold fields of consciousness open. They hold uh, field potentials, morphic fields open. So when you have a really, for example, you guys let me know if you've had this happen. Like say you, um, you go into ceremony and you have like a really beautiful, amazing ceremony experience and synchronicity is just, you know, everywhere and you feel like the air is so thick and everything is so imbued. That's energy. That's the reality around you, heavily, heavily imbued with energy. So when I'm talking about the kinds of technology that, that these ant people were building, they are opening fields within fields within fields that heavily imbue this reality with energy. So it's not just to run technology like what we qualify as energy. It's to hold field potentials, to imbue this reality on a much deeper level with consciousness. So the studies that Osmogovich is doing in the Bosnian pyramid complex is absolutely groundbreaking and essential for humans to reactivate this technology. And, you know, I've, ha I've been having guidance from the people for a while. Those of you guys have been watching for a while, you, you, I've gone into this a few times. Um, and there are a lot of 
ancient, ancient ant people colonies here in the U.S. One of the formal, former strongholds is in the Moreland Hills of Kansas. Okay, and you can, I can see the structures right off the freeway. And it's really clear how their technology, how their building technology, what it looks like, right? Um, it's clear that it's different than regular stone formations. And that's because the, the layering and how they do that and, 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 and the actual kind of rock that's layered in. For example, um, a major trademark to their technology building style is massive slabs of ceramic tile baked clay. So it's like these massive slabs of baked clay. And when they analyze this, it, it looks like all of this must have all simultaneously appeared all at once. You know, with the linear understanding of how this works, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. But that's what the data tells them, that this was just all of a sudden so in our reality. And when they study it, there are very clear and obvious indications of these layers of ceramic tiles that are creating the um, the shapes in between the rocks. So so that's the signature of ant people technology. And uh, what I've been also shown, and this was several years ago, but it's coming back full circle now, especially with this megalith conversation, is that as the sun becomes more and more active, and as the um, the electricity of the energy, the electromagnetic electricity of the Earth. Um, ebbs and flows, there's going to be a time when the sun's activity is going to be peaking with the same wave of the electromagnetic activity of the earth. And there's, there's like an overlap that's going to happen. And in that overlap, that's going to activate the people technology. So what does that mean for us? That means morphic fields, consciousness fields are going to be activated and available for humanity. And where are they going to be activated and available for humanity? Here in Montana, Moreland Hills in Kansas. There's also, they're also indicating there's places in Oklahoma. There's probably even more than that. Those are just the ones that, that I know about. There's, all, I mean, you have the Bosnian pyramids, right? What, what, what would happen if that energy center comes full on activated in that morphic field becomes fully imbued with consciousness what's gonna what's that gonna do to eastern europe the people and there's the water sources see that particular area is especially important and significant because the waters there are still pure that's, that's the cleanest waters i have ever seen most pristine beautiful rivers streams and creeks i've ever seen are in bosnia uh, and herzegovina and the the there and it's very sparsely populated so a lot of the towns and villages, their water source, their, their municipal water source is still the river that runs through town. People don't dump crap in the river that runs through town because they know everybody drinks from that water, right? So when the fields of this technology get activated, it's act it's, it's, the waters are a part of that activation and it's going to get proliferated throughout the lands of the Balkans. So that's, you know, that's going from the coast of Croatia all the way up through into um, Romania, uh, uh, what's it, Transylvania, Slovenia. I mean, all these, I don't, I'm sorry, my geography is not great there, but all the way up through, through the, um, 
up into up until uh, the Latvias and um, oh shoot now I, there's another one uh, Lithuania you know all that whole area of Eastern Europe so all that's going to get activated everybody's going to start getting reinformed in a different way with these fields with these morphic fields and not just people but elementals as well so the elementals are going to wake up to a whole nother level and they are going to have let's say that much more potency to open up zones where these pieces overlap and then you have all these people all these rogue factions of people that have an invested interest and are taking action towards restoring what we're calling the fairy accord right now just sit back for a, for a second and imagine imagine that what that can do right what that is really doing i think another place of of magic where there's technology it's not amp people technology, it's something else coming online is around the Vancouver area. So the powers that be that overlay all this technology on top of elemental intelligence, you know, if we, fo if we look at why they're doing things in the places that they're doing them, right? It's, you know, it's in an effort to keep it locked down. But the fact is, is that there's so much of it around this planet, you can't lock it all down. You can't lock it all down. It's not possible. So there, are, there will be, as we wake up more and more, there'll be strongholds, there'll be pockets, right? And I, I guess I'm saying this so you guys can also start framing up your understanding a little bit differently because there's a lot of um, narratives that, that, that paint a picture where it's inevitable there's gonna be a very significant collapse, whether it be economic or, or um, technology or whatever, I mean, all the way up to this whole solar flare thing, we're going to lose our atmosphere or the, the pole shifting or whatever. It, the, all that doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, but doesn't matter, right? Because when we are stepping outside of these paradigms of understanding that are forming our reality and the laws of our reality in which we think it all is so, none of that needs to be so. We can completely um, go through a pole shift and not have a major change or not have a major destruction happen in this reality because the earth is not what we think it is. This planet, what we call a planet, is not just this blue ball circling the sun flying through the galaxy. No, that's not true. Many, many, many universes, realities are unfolding itself on this plane of existence they're all unfolding themselves within the dream of the pachamama within the dream of the great mother pachamama means literally in quechua realm of the great mother <laughs> you know it's like they call it right out in their in their language okay guys let me know if you're picking up what i'm putting down is this is this connecting for you i feel like I feel like there's a, a more and more um, beauty and, and I guess hope's not quite the right word, but there's more and more potentials that are available to us in our awareness than ever before. So as things get more intense going in the other direction, we are also opening up to the possibilities in the opposite direction in these, you know, or even maybe that's a more unified direction, we can say it.
Because there's also the, um, the hijacking of the concept of hive mind. That is something that is fascinating um, and terrifying, depending on how you relate to it. That's a whole nother tangent. Let me first check in with you guys if you guys, if, if what I'm saying is, is landing. You guys understand what I'm talking about with these potentials, field potentials. Now, you know when a field potential is really limited because it will quite literally feel heavy, right? It'll feel heavy. You'll feel your nervous system will be triggered. You'll be on guard. Maybe fight or flight is getting, getting um, um, kicked on. Maybe the, the, the feeling, thoughts and feelings are really negative as in critical, fault finding, um, looking for you know, looking for fear places where to guard yourself, go into survival mode. Okay. Those that, those are examples of places that have a very limited field potential. And that's because there's only certain fields of consciousness that, that, that environment can hold in place. A lot of this is due to consciousness grids, right? That's a real thing. <laughs> consciousness grids. So, uh, and there's other places where it's really easy to be uplifted and light and loving and kind and hopeful and aspiring and, and stuff like this. That's because that environment holds another kind of field potential and, and it's overlapping nesting dolls of energies. This is why forest bathing is so, so effective. And it's obvious when you go into a forest from a city center. I mean, the shift in the energy is absolutely obvious, even for someone who is not intuitive. They definitely can feel the change. And there's several people that I've talked to lately, or that I, well, that have come into my awareness, I should say like that. There's several people that have come into my awareness lately who really have that feeling, that thought that, you know, you know nature is their spiritual, um, their spiritual nourishment inspiration uh, teacher and I think this is very very um, common to men particularly but also to people that are confused and don't know which way to turn they just want to keep it simple okay I'm just I feel great in nature so therefore I'm going to do that and when they seek solitude within nature, then their own true nature inside of themselves starts to resonate with those fields and things come through and you have awakenings, you have downloads, you have healings, you have discoveries, you have um, parts of your own DNA that gets activated. So, so nature does have its wisdom around that, absolutely. Um, so here, hold on a second. My, my brain just went in a couple different directions. I have to decide which one is the best one to go. Uh, nature. All right. So I guess I, I need to talk about the hive mind thing. I'll, I'll come back and, and zip this all up. So we're going to throw the piece of hive mind in there. How many people have heard AI hive mind technology and have heard alarming narratives in relationship to it? Okay. Um, and there's a lot of hostility and fear around the idea of hive mind. And, and there's a lot to be said about that because there are grids that quite literally humanity is already living in a hive mind. We think we have free will, but we don't because we have artificial overlays on consciousness grids that tell us things, but it's on our subconscious. So it's informing our subconscious beliefs, which manifest 
within this reality. So in many, many ways for thousands and thousands of years, humanity has already plugged into a hive mind. I think this is why so many people are triggered by the kinds of narratives that are put out there. Okay. So, and it's because quite literally, you know, we're getting hijacked without being aware. And we're not aware because we have blinders on. As soon as we're willing to take those blinders off, we become more aware and then we are less susceptible to those programs that are in the grids, to those um, energy streams or siphoning streams that are in the grids, okay? This is why knowledge is power on many, many. This is one of the many levels of why knowledge is power, right? So, so you know, we have these, we have this hive mind thing, which can, you know, be connected into the whole 4D field collective conscious and how we all move, move as a collective, okay? And the collective field needs to be in a certain place in order for certain other kinds of field potentials to come forward, such as having experiences with elemental devas, having experiences of miracles and magic, of Sasquatch, of, of interdimensional exchanges, stuff like this. Um, but there, there is another side of hive mind that I want to plant the idea with you guys. Um, and this is an idea, and I'm not saying anything is authority. You know, you guys know me. It's really about these are ideas. Do these ideas open you up or do they shut you down? <laughs> Where, what's your relationship with this idea? And how do you come into right relationship with these ideas, right? Oh, thank you, Joanna. I, I will totally read that in a minute, um, that comment. So there is another side, a perhaps more organic, natural side to hive mind. And this is what we see in the ant people, but also in bees and other insects that live in colonies. Now, people label things like drones, right? Or workers and you know, like, and that's their doom to this. But what they don't realize is that, you know, in bringing it into a more anthropomorphic vision here, when, when you have when you're looking at your own intentions to walk a path of service, when you're walking a path of service, that means that you are aware that you, you're, you belong to nature and you're not here just for you. You're here quite literally for everything around you. You know, like this tree is growing. This tree isn't growing for its own benefit. It's growing in relationship to everything that's around it. And because of the, the symbiotic nature, the synergetic nature of mother nature this tree's very existence its influences its influence serves life all around it well that's that's what how we want to be as humans we want to have a life that is in harmony with with nature and our very existence here benefits others is the benefit of others and that others could be people it could be nature it could be elemental beings, all of the above, or just single groups, stuff like this. So there is an existence. Um, there is a, a piece within this for us when we start looking at uh, what we do that serves. And it's something that comes out of us as if we, if we don't walk like that, if we don't feel like we're in service or a benefit to life, somehow we're betraying ourselves. We're, betray we're betraying the very sole purpose to why we're here, right? There's some kind of sense like that. 
And I mean, you guys, let me know if you have a sense like that. I mean, is, is service a part of your desire on this planet? Do you, is there, is you being a benefit to all life on this planet? Is that part of what satiates you in your walk in this life? You know, most star seeds, most spiritual leaning people, you know, that's part of it. Right. And if you are not, it's not right or wrong, good or bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that. So when you dial this in in relationship to hive mind, I mean, think about your own path of service. You're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of passion, compassion, bringing beauty, bringing truth, bringing liberation, bringing, you know, support and sustenance to the life around you. You're quite literally feeding and nurturing life force by you making choices in your path of service. And I don't mean enslavement level service. I'm, I'm talking about walking in your joy and in that somehow you are being a benefit to all life as you as you walk that right well who's to say that the bees and the ants and their collective fields aren't in that same vein um several years ago to maybe 2012 i was at a um there was a, i was at an event um where just before the event there was a stargate opening really profound teaching that I had when that stargate opened. It was a Syrian stargate. I've, I've worked with that energy before, but this is the first time I was alone on a body of water in the mountains when that gate was opening. And I, you know, went into a very deep altered state and watched this bee make love to this flower for Lord knows how long. I mean, hours. It could have easily been hours. I walked back from that, from that hike, very sun kissed. So it was a while. Anyway. And I'm in ecstatic bliss watching this bee make love to this flower. And that created a really deep connection between me and bee consciousness and flower consciousness. But bee consciousness was where a lot of my dialogues were happening. I don't know about you guys, but flowers and plants don't have a lot to say usually. <laughs> they kind of hold a space. They hold an energy. And it's, you know, it's just this really mellow movement. Um, bees are a little bit more busier like we are. You know, like they say, busy bee, right? So, and the bees, the, the queen bee consciousness was um, revealing herself and gave me a download, letting me know, you know, that there, the hive consciousness, as she and the hive experience it, it's a path of love and service to life. Love and service to life. So every single bee there is there doing its role because they want to be there, because they are in a static bliss doing what they're doing. And as soon as any of them decide they don't want to do what they're doing, they can leave. They're free to leave, do whatever they want. Um, and all the males, which are the drones, they do leave. They leave. And the, the highest path of service for a drone is to be lucky enough to find a queen to create a hive with. But most don't. Most just go out on their own. They explore the world and, they, and then they die. They die while they're exploring. That doesn't sound like a bad life to me. <laughs> right? Does that sound like a bad life to you? So the females of the hive, they're, they're the, the ones that 
caretake all the young ones. They're the ones that are going out into the flowers and bringing back honey. A lot of people don't realize that. Those are all female bees that are doing that. And the ones that are leaving the hive and getting the honey, that is their second half of their life, the first half of their life. The lifespan of a bee is about four weeks. The first half of their life, they stay within the hive, nurturing and uh, uh, nurturing the, the young that are coming forward, but also um, uh, processing and, you know, the inner workings of the hive, the, um, not just with the honey, but helping the queen and doing all this other stuff. So after they reach two weeks, they have the option to continue doing what they're doing until they die, or they can go out into the world and do what they want to do. And so they do that. They go off into the world and they explore, find flowers and bring back the honey all in a state of bliss and a state of loving service for the life of for the life of the hive now that is the natural organic version of hive mind and when i got that download from queen bee i instantly saw the connection with humans <laughs> and our and how in and how our operation in the collective field is very similar we for those of us on a path of focusing on cultivating our yes for love dismantling from all these suffering programs and getting deeper and deeper and deeper into our static state we are walking our path with love for life i mean love for our life but also love for life around us and we do things that feed and nurture life with joy gladly right gladly we do this i mean even something as simple as feeding the birds. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love to do it. I love feeding the birds. I find it fascinating. And I love watching the birds interacting. And I love the bird songs that come with feeding the birds. So the whole thing is a symbiotic cycle of bringing happiness and joy to each other by just doing our what we do, right? All right, let me pause right there and check in with a couple things because Joanne commented about water. So she's talking about Bulgaria's water is also pristine. The water stored under the mountain area of the Balkans is alkaline and delicious. Yes, yes, yes. We went to a, um, we went to a ancient, or ancient's too extreme of a word, an old, actually, it's the oldest currently operating Sufi temple in the Balkans called Blaja Teke. And it's 600 years old, it's still in operation. And for those of you who don't know who the Sufi are, the Sufi are, this is the mystical branch of the Islamic, the mystical order of the Islamic tradition. And this is built right outside of this giant cave, giant cave opening on a cliff face. And out of it flows the most pristine blue water you've ever seen i have ever seen in my life i mean it is so blue like how in the world is this is this water this blue it turns out that there's chemical compounds in it that make it extremely alkaline not to the point of causing harm to skin or anything but really it's just a um a really healthy water and uh and it does it tastes so sweet so so sweet and I, I remember thinking how lucky the villages are to have this <laughs> as their water source. It really goes to show on, you know, why they're so healthy, the, the population. All right, so the Balkans have a lot going on, right? The Balkans have a lot of cool stuff going on. And maybe that can trigger on why there's so much um, 
propagation of conflict by the powers that be in, within the Balkans, you know, because there's, there's an agenda getting played out. All right, young trick named Jim says, I am in service through my joyous state, but I was also in service through the pain and suffering I've caused in the past. Before my baseline, um, before my baseline was one of joy. Yeah, so he's talking about he was he's in service regardless if it's pain and suffering. At one time, that was the baseline, and now his baseline is to is is one of joy, and yet he's still in beautiful service. Thank you, Young Trick. That's great. Okay, thank you. Have a good one. Have a good one, Young Trick. Thank you for your share. So, so, um, so I'm just sharing this to reframe up the idea about hive mind. Okay, uh, it's really you know we we really need to pay attention to these narratives and we can explore them absolutely because as we're exploring them we're decoding right we're decoding things and then we're coming full circle with things and once we come full circle these different pieces don't have power over us and what i mean by power over us it means it doesn't send us into a tailspin of thoughts and emotions that aren't preferable that aren't you know um the truth of our true nature that are disempowering, you know, spiraling down these thoughts of emotions of disempowerment. So getting to collective fields, right? This is the grid work, right? The, I, I'm, I love the, the languaging that's coming out from the starseed community, the word grid work. Now, those of us who've been around for a while, we know this has been happening for quite some time, not as conscious as it is these days because the veils were so much thicker back then, but, but um, nonetheless, it's really interesting work. Um, and I want to um, invite you guys that are interested in exploring grid work um, because we are going to, all right, so I mentioned these um, Moreland Hills, the Amp People technology within, um, within uh, that's in the landscape of Kansas and then in Oklahoma. And then we have all this other kind of technologies and, and um, other types of mechanisms that, that work against the, um, these frequencies, these field potentials coming online. So when I'm talking about grid work, I'm talking about addressing the things that are locking down the collective grid fields for these bigger, higher potentials, more um, robust and imbued consciousness potentials to, to come on board, to come online. So uh, May 26 is our next grid, grid working session, and we're going to be working out those overlays, the overlays that are, that are hijacking or, let's say, um, maintaining extreme states of suffering and oppression in, in those areas. So the suffering and oppression isn't just the human experience, it's also the elemental experience. There's like a lot of barrenness. There's, I don't know if you guys remember back in the, I think it was the thirties, there was the great dust bowl that happened in that area of the, of the, of the United States. So there is um, layer upon layer of pain and suffering. And then it gets anchored in with trauma and war and with other mystical and within other mystical means and interdimensional shenanigans. So um, on so what we're going to do is come in there and start unlocking some of these pieces that are not just siphoning, siphoning off life force energy, but also um, locking down consciousness so these field potentials can come more easily back in line. Uh, and this, this looks, there's many different layers. I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the facilitators in Light Body pointed this out. 
um, we have a famous story about General Custer, right? Famous story. Custer's last stand, right? Did you guys know that Custer and his wife were, were um, their home base was in K- K- Hayes, Kansas? Okay. So, so how mystical overlays happen is that there's a connection between all these pieces and it seems like they're all random pieces but they are all connected energetically and in that energetic connection it gets anchored into the collective field so this is important because he's got a history um, with the masons and other powers that be and it's no accident that his story is is um immortalized in legend okay there's no accident that his story has been immortalized in legend so that's that's how a lot of these pieces work it's like we have a legend about something we think it's just a story or we think it's just a piece of history but it's not there's a very specific reason why that story out of history is the one proliferated there's a very significant reason why these narratives shift and change according to our relationship to certain energies so, uh, so that's, that's, you know, what we're working on unraveling, unraveling these pieces that are, are infiltrating the great consciousness within, within that area. Of course, it goes a lot, a lot um, broader than that. I found out that it so far, right. So when I'm looking at just the human realm, that whole lockdown of consciousness started with the very first battle of the civil war, which was the battle of Manassas. I don't know if you guys know your history at all about what's going what happened there but it's all about maintaining divide maintaining an enemy the perception of an enemy maintaining prejudice maintaining um us and them mentality so that's the human level of the grid part and of course there's a much more macro kind of level of the grid part and that is where the technology the hijacking enslavement and then recovery of the ant people story come in and then we're talking about you know stargates and major energy um, um, uh, consciousness pillars you know getting getting distorted so so there's different layers that we work on and if you feel drawn at all to any one of these pieces that I'm talking about I encourage you guys to to um, check it out we have it on our social media it's um it's the grid working session that's happening on may 26 it's on our telegram group our rise group and in our um instagram and uh you know it's three you know plot out three hours of your time because we're going to go in you know break up into different groups to track on these different levels and start the unwinding process and there's a lot of very 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 amazing people within light body so there's a you'll be joining a lot of the a lot of them in this process and when we work in groups like this there's a collective resonance that builds so often what happens is that your own intuitive abilities get a boost your own healing abilities get a boost you actually start getting downloads from that um, because those field potentials open in such a way you're now more available to these other frequencies that download deeper understandings that activate dna that hasn't been um, and you know, active in the DNA dance yet. So it's a it's a mutual beneficial for everybody involved. So it's one of those things where that act of service feeds and nurtures all life that is involved. So it's the people 
individually in the group. It's the collective of the group. It's the lands. It's the elementals. It's the populace. You see what I mean? It's the interdimensional exchanges. It's um, star consciousness. It's uh, um, energy lines, you know, dragons. I mean, so it just ripples out interdimensionally through all these realms. Um, it's really fun work. I like it a lot. So that's, that's my invitation for that, you guys. Um, and if you don't catch it on any of those social media places, you can always just email us, um, email us at wecare@lightbodyacademy.com. All righty, darlings, what a journey we went on today. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, for holding this field, a potential open for me to talk about these pieces in this way. I'm so grateful to you guys. Without you, I would never come to these places and be able to talk like this. So I, I really appreciate what the space that you hold and what you do for me to be able to voice these pieces. And, um, and I really love that you guys, um, you know, are so dedicated and sincere in your own practice you're 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 really solid in, in your own right of of how you work in the world and i'm and i thank you for that that's it for me i love you guys we'll see you next week Mwah. bye, -bye. <laughs>